It would be an insult to call Chazelle a promising filmmaker as this movie doesn't indicate mere potential. It is evidence of authentic, sometimes blazing talent. Great blurb for a great movie. Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times talking about Whiplash, our 10th anniversary. That's our old movie this week, but honestly, it's the movie that I most want to talk about because I rewatched it on TCM of all places, Turner Classic Movies, which is normally the home of old films. This is only 10 years old. What the hell? I watched Whiplash. It was incredible. I was happy to watch it again. Another old film. One of my favorites, Michael Shannon. 99 Homes is currently on Netflix. I'd never seen it. Finally watched it. Michael Shannon is Satan, which is to say he's awesome. As far as our new movies this week, again, we're trying to push away towards more of the Oscars, which are less than a month away now. Bobby Wine, The People's President, nominated for Best Documentary. That's on Disney Plus, a uh, two-hour film there. And Nimona, which actually came out last June, but it's um, nominated for Best Animated Feature. I finally got around to watching that. And our wild coverage is actually, I think, how we may actually begin the show because he was so good. Dave Carter, speaking of TCM, Turner Classic Movies, he's got a great new book out and Dave is always fun to listen to. So uh, we're going to kick things off with him momentarily. But first, Chris Cody is back from Vegas and the Super Bowl. How was the experience? Not a full week, but quite a little bit of time in Vegas, more than the, the, th the 48 or 72 hours people normally say. I was working most of the time. I didn't really get to indulge at all. I had like one night where I went to the media party, but for the most part, it was all work. A lot of fun bonding with the crew. Uh, the, the, the the blackjack table, roulette table weren't too kind to me, yeah. but I did hit a slot machine at the airport that got back most of my losses. But overall, a little over Vegas mm. as a whole, as a place I want to be in my 30s. In my 20s, I had a few fun weekends. Yeah. Overall, with the Super Bowl there, it was a fun work trip, I would say. Now, you're already close to the guys who've been a part of the show for a long time, like Billy and Roy. Who did you bomb with specifically? Tony, Jessica, Lucy? Uh, I would say Lewis and Tony, but mm. yeah, even Billy and like we don't hang out as much. We're, we're, I would say, and Lucy has she's moved into this world, and people that have moved into our world are always kind of amazed. You guys are really close on air, but then you go home, and you know, I was like, yeah. there's not a ton of Friday night dinners no. between the well, shipping. You got families, you, know you got I mean? kids, yeah, exactly. So it's we don't actually spend that much personal time together. Mm. You know, we do plan things here and there, but so it was nice to just be like, all right, Billy, Roy, Jess, you guys want to go to dinner? All right, let's go to dinner, and you know, hopefully Stugatz will pay. Yeah. You know, like that whole routine. How did that happen? Did, did Stugatz pay or no? Did he? We had one big group dinner where there was like seventeen of us, <laughs> and we're talking a steakhouse. We're talking <laughs> like we're talking two grand for the bill, yeah. type thing, and. You know, my dad and Stu Gotts both at this dinner, Ooh. you know, with, you know, you know, the rest of the crew, we're all thinking, yeah, I mean, dance, two cards here. Greg, Stu Gotts, we're all good. Yeah. Didn't exactly work out that way. Stu Gotts threw down a bunch of cash. Okay. And then, like, my dad, me, a few of the other, like, senior uh, producer people threw in the car. Oh, I spent, like, 200 bucks. It wasn't that bad. No, well, I'm well, not that's complaining. Not. How much do you think Stu Gotts yeah. paid? 500 bucks? I think it looked like he threw down a wad of like some 20s and 100s. I would say it, Stu Gatz probably threw down the most, I would say. Okay. And then the rest of us, it was like split amongst my dad, me, Jess, Lucy. Like, But I was hoping that my money was no good there, but it was. <laughs> it's not great, but that dovetails perfectly, which I wanted to get into, which is my dinner with Bob Costas and Ben Mankiewicz. Before I do that, oh, though, because wow. this reminds me of Jonathan Vilma, who, listen, I love the guy. I think he does a phenomenal job for Fox, loved him as a player. Uh, obviously terrific defensive player all those years, but it was one of the college football bowl games. It was in Miami. So it's me, Canal, and Galloway and Vilma's with us. And he said to us, I had a Tahalis. We're going to go to prime one twelve. I'm like, okay, because that's the spot, in Miami, incredible stakes, South beach, et cetera. I'm like, all right. So while we're there, I'm thinking he's picking up the bill. Like he, he set it up. He's a former player. He's makes a lot more money than I do. I do fine. Again, if it's you and me and Billy, then I'm paying, but I go by the right. hierarchy. I'm like Jonathan Vilma made millions. Uh, Galloway made millions. Canal. 
didn't do great. Like he's a little ahead of me, but I'm like, you know, he's, he's still a former player. Anyways, and he's ordering a lot of stuff. So I'm like, he's like, oh, we'll get shrimp too. We'll get these lobsters. I'm like, this guy's definitely paying. You can't be the aggressive order and then the guy that doesn't want to pay. I, the bills came and he, I was just like shocked. I, I, he almost said separate checks. And I'm like, oh my God. But then he was like, he just put in his usual. Like I, I was like, wow, my lesson learned. Now, on the other hand, I have great respect for the guy who covers the bill, which was Little League World Series. And again, I'm on air, but I'm not making what Carl Ravage makes. So it's me and Ravage and like a bunch of people. That's like 17 people. And I saw the bill. And I'm like, oh my! I'm like, I, I can't, like, I can't afford this. Like, I, my wife will be like, why, why are you spending this? Like, I, my bill was like forty dollars for rigatoni. I'm willing to pay probably four hundred before I'm like that. No, this is ludicrous. And Ravi, without missing a beat, was like, yep, I got it. I'm like, that's a pro. That's a leader. And. That's how it's done. Oh, Ravi. Yeah. Pull, I love that. I, I see Ravi as being that guy. Yeah. This is getting it done. So that brings me to Costas. We've developed a burgeoning friendship here as co-workers at MLB Network. And he's a big movie guy as well. So he had said to me, he goes, I understand you're tight with Ben Mankiewicz. First lie. I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Not tight. Do I know Ben Mankiewicz? Absolutely. Have we texted a bunch? Yeah. When I was at ESPN, I think I first tweeted him. And he had tweeted back, and I was, he was like, oh, I think we're both envious of each other's jobs. I'm a huge baseball fan. You're obviously a huge movie guy. He sent me like a TCM hat, which I wore on air, which Priscilla was like, are you joking? He's like, that that audience is like 70 plus. You're, you're going like, to like, no, I'm wearing my TCM hat. It's great. And uh, again, mutual text. He's an A's fan, whatever. We've had him on the air. But for Bob to see you're tight with him, I'm like, no, I'm tight with Ben Lyons. I wouldn't say I'm tight with Ben. I don't think, I've never even socialized with Ben Manquitz. But he's like, listen, I really want to meet Ben Manquitz. Can you set up a dinner? I, I couldn't believe, I'm, I'm the intermediary. I'm the, I'm the errand boy for Bob Gossis. I'm like, okay. He's like, we'd love to meet him. So I, this was months ago. I text Ben. I'm like, hey, man, not sure if you're ever in the city, meaning New York City, but but Bob Gossis wants to meet you. So Ben writes back flattered. And he's a little bit like you with Texas. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes like he disappears. Like I was just, I'm like, hey, I'm watching uh, The Public Enemy on TCM. This movie's so great. He will not respond. It's like, okay, he's kind of, he's a little he picky with his sex. But I but he saw the Costas. He was like, oh my God, I'm flattered. Uh, yeah, like, and he's an LA guy, but he goes to Atlanta to shoot for TCM. Of course, that's where the studios are, Turner Classic Movies. And I don't know how much he's in New York, but he goes, I, I make it there once in a while. Really odd connection. His wife is from where I'm from in Hohokus, New Jersey, which is amazing, mind-boggling. It's a very small town in which I live. Regardless, the stars start to align. Costas goes, I'm here for two weeks for Hall of Fame. Is Mank around? I text Mank. He's like, I'm actually going to be there. I'm like, really? He's like, I'm shooting a couple things for New York. I'm like, awesome. Set up the dinner. Seven o'clock. I take the train in. I'm big on the walking, as you know. So I get there and I'm like, the dinner's at seven. It's 6.20. And I go, I'm walking it. 50 minute walk. I go, no, I'm 35 blocks. I'm getting my walk in. And then a part of me is like, well, I'm stepped to lunch. I'm like, I'm showing up late. I'm like, whatever. I'm going to get my steps in. I'm doing a hit with Calgary Radio as I'm walking. I'm like, yeah, I'm going out to dinner with Bob Costas right now. This is great. Bob texts around seven. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'll am i be running five minutes late. Reservation under my name. I'm like, all right. The place we went to, I believe it's called Bar Italia, 65th and Madison. I walk in. Bob's already there with Ben Mankiewicz. I'm like, awesome. So I, it's my first time meeting Ben, who I'm allegedly tight with. I give him a big hand. What's up, man? Good to see you. Conversation just going. It's great. Now, one thing I like about Bob right out of the gate. He knows the guy running the place, Dennis. Dennis already brings over some, I wouldn't even call it hors d'oeuvres. It was just some sort of uh, appetizer. It's like a, it's almost like a bread thing. It's kind of like a dip, whatever the hell it was. I'm like, fine. He goes, oh, this is from Dennis. I'm like, cool, great. Thanks, Dennis. Food-wise, I follow suit with them because I'm not getting burned again like the film experience. So I'm like, I'm going to watch them. So Bob goes, I'm getting the soup with some sort of pasta in there. Mankowitz also soup. I go, I'll get the soup as well. I don't think I've had soup in years. But I'm like, I'm going to follow the lead with these guys. I'm going to get the soup. Now, Bob says... In addition to the main course, what do you think about splitting a margarita pizza? I, go, I would love that. I could eat cheese pizza anytime, anywhere. Great. Margarita pizza as well. So he orders a salmon. Mank gets like spaghetti carbonara. I get uh, rigatoni. Pizza comes. 
I, and by the way, I almost like fasted that day because I was like, I'm, I'm going to eat. I'm, I'm really hungry. So like, I crushed my food. Margarita pizza. I'm like, yeah, like I probably had four slices. I think Bob had two. Ben had one. And I don't think Ben had any. I was like, what happens? I had one. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to just keep crushing this pizza. Nothing I don't like more than wasted food. I'm like, if you're not going to eat it. After two, are you yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, you I went to town, one, two, and then I kind of look at them. I'm like, hmm. They have one each. I'm like, I'm going to get one more. And I was like, can I can I do this without them noticing that I'm having a fourth slice of... Again, these are small slices, but to your point, they had two, one, wow. I'm going four. I'm like, no, I'm picking out. You know Bob Costas is doing that math. Even if he's not hungry, he's just such a smart dude that he's like three, but, but it, one, But it one. pains right. me. If I was out, you, me, and your daughter, and she left chicken fingers on the table, like I'm eating those. I'm like, I don't like any wasted food. I'm like, are you going to eat those, sweetie? She's like, no, I'm like, I'll have them. Like, Chris, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm like, I'll eat it. It's one of the best things yes. about being a parent is the just being able to clean up after your kids. <laughs> right, I never order eat. anything because I'm like, well, they're going to not finish it. So I'll have half of that milkshake. I'll have a different side. I don't eat fries because my daughter has fries. I'll have the salad. So I don't I'm going to eat the rest of those fries, go to town on those, and we're all good. So um, anyways, uh, I crushed the pizza. Just, here's what I like about Bob. Because some people, and I've noticed this, especially, I don't know, I want to say work people, but kind of honor people. They're, they're very much like, oh, I'm going to stay fit, whatever. So like they skip on dessert. I got to work definitely getting dessert. Like if he, if he pulls out, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm getting dessert. Not sure about you too, but I'm, I'm getting ice cream. Bob, thankfully, is not one of those guys. Immediately goes, hey, dessert-wise, the uh, uh, what was the dessert he recommended? It's like, because you'll lose a molar on it. Oh, hey. this is so exciting. I need to know what Bob Costas <laughs> loves for dessert. So like, um, don't, don't yeah, guess I'll, here. I'll remember to I mention what kind of right. it was. But, um, okay. So he gets, let's say, a coffee or something. Uh, ben gets, uh, I probably gets coffee as well. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to tell him the coffee thing. I'm not going to lie. That's an old person move. There's not a lot of people in their 30s that are having coffee. See, after that's what dinner. I'm talking about. You and I have already discussed, as long-time listeners know, our issues with coffee. It was just the the squint, the slurp, and the, oh, I was like, if they do that, I'm going to leave this table. I don't give a crap who you are. I'm out of here. <laughs> but thankfully, it was biscotti. That's what, that's what Bob said. He goes, make sure you get the biscotti. You might lose it. Yeah, of course yeah. it was. He goes, oh, the biscotti perfect. is great because you might lose a molar on it, but it's really good. I'm like, okay. So he gets some biscotti for the table. He gets gelato. Mank also goes gelato. Now, earlier, I copied them on the soup. But I'm like, I don't like being the copier on desserts. So I go, well, what else you got? I go, you got cheesecake? He goes, no. The look on my face is like a four-year-old not getting the pony they dreamed of. I go, you don't have cheesecake? I go, we're in, we're in New York City in an Italian restaurant. There's literally like Italian movies playing behind. There's black and white pictures like Sophia Loren. You don't have cheesecake in New York City? He's like, no. I go, I go, look at Bob. I go, what kind of restaurant is this? He's like, yeah. I go, what else you got? He goes, I have tartufo. I go, okay. He goes, it's basically chocolate vanilla ice cream. I go, all right, I'll get the tartufo. Probably shouldn't have, probably should have gotten gelato. It was more calories. But bottom line is this. Now the check comes. And I go, this is the big moment. Before we get to the check, how many biscottis were ordered? Probably they're small. Because it's a dangerous, because it's always a dangerous game. Are we sharing? Yeah. Like, we're work friends here. We're not family. Like, are, are we doing the two yeah, spoon yeah. thing? Am I putting my spoon into your thing after you've already taken a bite? Like, I, I mean, I would share spoons with Bob Costas, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's just me. That's definitely going to be part of the story for sure. It was like six little chocolate biscottis, I would say. Individual. Oh, so they're individual. So it wasn't like it wasn't like something Correct. you're diving for into honest, the same thing. It's not thing. my jam. So I, I went nuts on the margarita pizza. On the biscotti, I had one to be polite. I really didn't even. I was like kind of nibbling. I'm like, yeah, this isn't. Yeah, you like, said it was good because Bob Costas said they were good. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna have another one. Like, I had the one to be polite, kind of like Mank with the pizza. I'm like, no. But you watched how many he had, just Correct. like he yeah, watched absolutely. you. With I the definitely pizza. kept track, but he definitely had more than one. So, anyways, check comes. Dennis hands it to Bob. So Bob takes out American Express, and then I kind of gave it a beat. Because I've been paying for a lot of people recently, and I'm like, you know what? I'd like to have someone pay for me for a change. Because it's like I was back in Toronto, four of my buddies. I'm like, I got the check. Okay, and that guy recognized you because I didn't work. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I got this check. Go ahead, big tip. Because a way to recognize me. Here you go, no problem. 
Recently, I was out in Nashville, winter meetings, baseball guys. I'm like, no, I got to be a ravage. So I, I, I'm like, no, no, I got the bill. Like, sure, no, that's me. That's me. That's me. Yep. So this time I'm like, you know what? I think we can defer on this one. So Bob pays. I give it a beat. And then I go, I can chip in as well. And Bob's like, that's already there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> what I found very amusing is Mank, Mank didn't Ooh. hesitate at all. Like, he didn't even try to pay. Like, I was like, I joked with him. I go, you're unbelievable. Like, at least I waited a beat. And I was like, I can pay. And he's like, I'm okay. Like, nope. Mank was just like, no, like, I'm fine. The way you said Bob's, obviously you're interpreting Bob's response, so I don't know how it actually went down, but the way you just said it made it seem like Bob maybe wanted no, you to chip I, in. No, but I would say you're, you're kind of right. Like, I don't think he was like, no, it's on me. Like, he wasn't overly generous about it, but it's, but yeah, he was just it's, like, it's, eh, it's there already. Like, yeah. I was like, okay. Like, I don't think he wanted me to chip in, but he wasn't, he wasn't clear that I couldn't be involved. Like, if I had forced him and go, no, no, hey, I'm paying, he'd go, all right, well, fine. You want to pay? It might have been a power move. To like, hey, that's no, what Bob. my friend Cabby said. Because honestly, he goes, I, listen, I get where you're coming from. I know you're a generous guy. I know you pay goods, but that actually would have been the move if you'd pay. Like, hey, Bob, Bob, like, like I can take care of myself here. Like, I'm just some kid here looking for a free meal. But that's exactly what I was doing. I wanted a free meal. I'm tired of paying. And quite honestly, quite honestly, I was like, I deserve the free meal because you wanted to meet Mankowitz. So I set this up. So I'm like, I set this up. I got to take the train. I got to the bus. And you got your know, private car, whatever. I'm like, so I do get a free rigatoni and dart too for this. And Ben shouldn't pay. He's the guest of honor. Clearly, Bob, you want to meet him. And Bob, you could buy and sell us. You're like a $70 million net worth. You, you do get this one. You know what? Next one, I will pay. There won't be a next one, but I'll pretend there will be. How is the banter? So this is an interesting point. So I think if it was you, me, and your dad, because I think this is definitely something I do, which is I feel like if I'm the one responsible, then I have to carry the conversation. So if it's you, me, and your dad, I wouldn't feel that way. Because I'm like, no, Chris is more responsible. He knows me and Greg. So he's going to keep things going. Go, hey, Greg, uh, or dad, remember the time uh, Adnan was telling you about that Michael Shannon thing? Yeah. George Jones. You guys love George Jones. Like, you would keep it going. Hey, Adnan loves baseball. Middle. To middle. Have you ever have you a middle. Exactly. Fan? He, it's a called middling. Yeah. Like, so, yes, that's perfect. Because <laughs> I took it to a T. There'd be like a half a second pause. I would jump. Bob, how's the Hall of Fame? Boom. Adrian Beltre, blah, blah, blah. Half a second pause. Hey, man, how great was Giamatti in the holdovers? So, like, I was consistently going. Now, again, my friend Kevin pointed out, he goes, like, he maybe should have just, like, he goes, I get that's kind of your jam, but it would have been nice just to let the silence go and to see where it would have gone. And I said, yeah, but I was, I was orchestrating. I don't like that uncomfortable silence. I don't know where it's going to go. So, I just, I was, essentially, I was the host. They were the analysts. Between three hosts, I was the host. I was just teeing them up. And Ben has some great stories. Like, I was like, where, where were we earlier today? Yeah. And I was like, I was actually with Steven Spielberg. I'm like, like I, I'm with my kids, like, you know, doing geometry, and you're with Steven Spielberg. He's like, yeah. I'm like, how'd that go? He's like, great. Because he, he does a bunch of stuff for TCM. And I go, tell me about Marty, because I know Marty loves TCM. He's like, yeah, Marty's awesome. Great. I go, have you ever met De Niro? He's like, uh, only once. He was 40th anniversary of Raging Bull. And because the key was it was Marty and Thelma Schoemaker, the editor. He's the way with De Niro, he goes, you've got to get Marty there because then Marty just goes. And then Bob kind of chips in. If it's just one-on-one, -on -one, Bob, he goes, then you're in trouble. He goes, but Marty's so good at talking. And then Bob kind of fills in. He goes, back to Spielberg. He goes, so this didn't happen this time, but a previous time. He said I was with um, Paul Thomas Anderson. I go, oh my God, I love P.T. Anderson. He's like, yeah. He goes, his daughter goes to school with my daughter. I go, what? He's like, yeah. I go, him and my Rudolph have four kids. He's like, yeah. I this is kind of creepy that I know the ages, but I was like, it was like 18, 16, 13, 10. He's like, yeah, the youngest same age as my daughter, Josie. I'm like, okay. He goes, so you see what, like, pick up and drop off. Like, there's one of the greatest directors of our generation. Hi, Paul. How are you? He's like, well, like, I know more than that. He goes, he's done a bunch of stuff at TCM. Like, it's like, we're, we're chatting. He goes, not quite at the level that we're, like, close. I go, meaning, he goes, like, he, he has a, he's a big Dodgers fan. He goes, he has, like, a box for Dodgers games. We're not quite the level. He's like, hey, Ben, come with me and my buddies to go watch the Dodgers game. I'm like, yeah. He goes, but always very friendly, always chatty, et cetera. 
So he said the previous time it was Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson talking. That's great. And he goes, I'm kind of like, like listening in the conversation, like not overtly, but just like, you know, they're talking to his, and they're talking about the boat. He's like, oh, the boat was so good. How great was the boat? He's like, yeah, next time you get a gun. And he's telling Paul, he goes, you got to bring my next time. He's like, oh, mine's not crazy about boats. Spielberg's like, oh, she's going to like this boat. And he's like, it was so great to have, to have Dan and Bruce there. He's like, yeah. And now Ben's like, who are Dan and Bruce? And he's just kind of thinking in his head. He's like, oh, Dan's great. Bruce is great. Yeah, Dan and Bruce. Like, he goes, it could just be like some key grip. It could be a cinematographer, Dan and Bruce, their buddies. But he's like, ah, the way they're saying, Dan, oh, Dan's this, Dan. But eventually he goes, I remember the time walking and seeing you and Daniel working on the script. And he goes, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Spielberg, Lincoln, Paul Thomas Anderson, Phantom Threat. Okay, that's the link there. That's definitely him. Now, who the hell is Bruce? I can't figure out Bruce. Eventually, Paul says, why? He goes over to Spielberg and says, hey, you know, that was so cool. He's like, yeah. He goes, I'll be showing you my boat. Like, even rich people want to show off their stuff. Even Spielberg's like, let me, let me show you my boat. He goes, you're going to like this boat. <laughs> it's like, all right. He's like, oh my God. It's, yeah, oh, it's amazing. He goes, yeah, yeah. Who was Bruce? You take one guess right now, Cody, who Bruce was. I mean, uh, Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis would be my first guess as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who would it be? But it's Bruce Springsteen. Imagine, oh, of course, the one more famous. Imagine Bruce being than in that. a boat, Steven Spielberg, Daniel Day Lewis, Bruce Springsteen, and Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, what are those guys chatting about? They're just hanging out, scoping out girls, <laughs> having, that's a, wild. having a couple of martinis. Like, that's it was mind blowing. And I was like, Yeah, he's like, What are you up to? I'm like, I'm going to be with Harold Reynolds tomorrow. It's going to be pretty good. We're waiting for uh, Blake Snell to sign. So hopefully that'll get done soon. But, but you know, enjoy your time with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, but it was definitely a good dinner. And, uh, Thank you to Bob for paying and uh, for orchestrating. And I and I feel good about it. One thing that was awkward at the end is Bob got a little bit, like it was a long dinner because again, Ben and I have nowhere to go. Like once I, I got the night out for my kids, I'm going to take as long as I can. Ben's clearly out of town doing his own thing. At the 9.15-ish, then Bob gets a call. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm at a very lengthy dinner right now. I go, okay, maybe he's annoyed. This is lengthy. He's like, I got to get going. He's like, all right, bam, bam, we go. And then like, he's just hopping in the car, going to his place. And then I said, and maybe this is wrong on my end, but I said something like, well, if you guys want to exchange numbers, because in my head, I'm like, Bob, you wanted to meet him. We got this done. And then Bob's kind of like, well, you know, I didn't just got my number or whatever. I'm like, that, that didn't. I'm like, I probably, I probably shouldn't have said that. Way. So I was like, mm. but that's on me. Like, I misread the situation. Now, here's honestly the most amusing part to me was this. We're halfway through the dinner. And again, I'm just teeing up. Hey, Bob, tell the story about Conan. Hey, Ben, tell the story about, you know, this, this actor, this thing. And they're going back and forth. And basically, I'm just listening and, and laughing. And then Bob checks his phone. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, you know what? I've got to get a picture. He goes, Jill, his wife, is a huge TCM fan. He goes, Ben, I told her what huge fans we are. It's like, guys, yeah, we got to get a picture. And I'm already laughing to myself. He, he calls oh, over no. like the waitress got a picture. Now, I thought. It would be the three of no, you. Yeah, no, that, that part we're good on. But I thought it'd be like, no, no. Okay. I thought it would be like stand up, like do a proper picture. Like end of the night kind of thing. No, not at a dinner. Yeah, not but at he's a just dinner. like, we're doing this now. And I'm like, oh, like we're just. Get a waiter. For, that, no, sit that's, at the exa table, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, so we're at the table. So I'll text you the picture. I, I I don't know if I posted. I don't think I did. But it looks like me and Ben Manquitz are having dinner and this lurking in the background, photobombing is Bob Costas. Oh, <laughs> no, he's, no, stood? he's sitting. So he's we're all stood. sitting. We oh, just turned the waiter. But it just it's looks, me and Ben okay. foreground, Bob in the background. But just the way it's framed, it looks hilarious to me. It looks like me and Ben are having dinner. Like, oh, who's that kind of way in the back? Oh, that's Bob Costas <laughs> over there raising a glass of Chianti. I go, this is hilarious. Oh, so that's, I love this. I just love the mechanics, yeah. the awkwardness of like, are we taking a picture? Who's taking it? Bob calling for the pictures. See, that's, that's, that's I'll big. tell you right now, dear listener, if there's one takeaway from this entire story, Bob calling for the picture was shocking to me. And that was late in the dinner, right? That was like right as you're uh, about no, to I'd leave. Because like I generally, my time, like whenever I'm at a group dinner where I feel like this could be a picture, it's right when the food arrives. Before yeah. you start eating, it's can you take our picture? So we all have our picture with mm, our meals good, yeah. here. 
That's the, that's generally picture time is right when the food that's arrives. That's a good call. I thought like at the end, I guess mm-hmm. you're getting up before we leave. Let's get a quick picture. Yeah, you're, then you're bloated. Yeah, I guess that's true. The bloated aspect yeah. does, does impact <laughs> it a little bit. But odds that this dinner will ever happen again, I'm going to put it at zero. Because really, I mean that combination for yeah. sure. You think Bob will have dinner well, with you? Well, I always said to him, "Listen, you know, I'm a huge Oberman guy." I go, "Can we get me you and Oberman?" And Bob laughed. He was like, "Listen, I'm happy to do it." Because but when Keith is there, he kind of like dominates the proceedings. I'm like, "Well, yeah, he's Keith Oberman." Wow, that's a huge little nugget that you got there, and it has nothing to do with Oberman. It you. Uh, Bob doesn't think you dominated the conversation yes. too much because if he thought you were being like God, Dad, man, like let us breathe, he wouldn't have criticized somebody yes. else dominating. The, so that actually puts you're in yes. the clear with Bob. Like he wasn't thinking at all that you no, were that, too that's chatty. Definitely so that's true. That's I, mean, I, of the three, I was easily the least chatty because I was just teeing up. It was seven seconds. But you said you were you, you were driving, driving traffic, just, so I thought maybe question, you got. A, I thought no, you got I, a little I too bumped, handsy I bumped there. a break. I did a quick question. Got them go. Listen, laugh. It was good. And I think ultimately the good news is afterwards, again, classy that Bobby, he texted me to say thank you. But it was a very quick text ah, after. Again, me, you and love that. me, you and your dad have dinner. I don't think I text you. I think I would text you the next day. Yeah, maybe the next day. I am a big had a good time. He did it right away. Like, like within five minutes. Because then Ben was like, I guess I gotta use the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, it was another issue. My wife kind of wanted the gnocchi. And I go, I can't order the gnocchi in case Bob pays. Why is Bob paying for my wife's dinner? So I said, what I'll do is yeah. I'll wait till they're late and go, hey, can I get a gnocchi to go? But then it's gonna be awkward, separate bill. So I was like, all I'm gonna do is wait till Bob leaves, which I was correct. He left first, and then I'll just circle back and order it. So Ben goes, I use the bathroom. I'm like, great, I'll go back. I go, can I get a gnocchi to go? They go, no. I go, what? They go, kitchen's closed. <laughs> I go, I go, it's 9 30. Oh, wow. What kind dinner. of Italian restaurant? 9 30, your kitchen closes in New York City on a Thursday night. I'm adding Burke. Turn on the Snoopy go, man. Come on, I can't go home empty handed. I'm taking a bus <laughs> home. I'm taking a big Greyhound oh. bus home. I want to be sitting there with Gnocchi. Hey, honey, this is my dinner with Bob Costas. Here's your Gnocchi. But um, yeah, it is. Yeah. So but within five minutes, Bob was like, had a great time. Thanks so much for setting it up. I'm like, all right. You had me. Th- it, it was so quick, though. It almost makes me think he has an assistant that texts people right after a dinner. <laughs> it was, I'm not exactly. It was quick. It'd be like if I say, hey, Chris, good seeing you, man. I'm like, yeah. And within three minutes, Adnan, thanks so much. That was awesome. Like, Cody, I, like you're outside right, waiting like, Cody, for I your just car. You're like, like yeah, yeah. By the way, it's like a list of things to do. Make sure I thank him. Make sure I do this, but brush my teeth. I'm like, okay, yeah, thanked him. We're good. I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, but it was uh, it was a good time. So who knows? Maybe it'll happen again at some point. Like I said, that that group I can't see happening again. But Mank is funny though as hell, man. Next time I'm in LA, he was like, "No, dude, we'll, we'll definitely hang." Brett Bredos is a big TCM Ben Oddly. He had messaged me about Ben. I go, "Dude, he's awesome. He tells great stories." He's like, you, "You'll like him a lot." Maybe maybe we'll get Paul Thomas Anderson and Spielberg and Bruce and Daniel to hang out. It'll be a great time all around. All right, I wanted to get that story. I was going to tell it last week, but you weren't here, and I said, it's, it's not going to be fun if I can't play off of you. Uh, let's get to Dave Carter. What the hell? And speaking of TCM, that was the thing Dave was happiest about. I think I said this in the interview. Maybe I didn't. I think I said to him off air. I said, I just had dinner with Ben and, uh, and Bob Costas. I walked in reading your book. He's like, oh, that's so great. Here's what the rest of what he had to say. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a real pleasure. Welcome back in Dave Carter. He was a guest on Cinephile a couple of years ago, and I'm a huge fan of Dave's because, of course, like many, I grew up on Entertainment Weekly, and I always loved his Oscar predictions. I now love his work because I love seeing him on TCM, like our mutual friend Ben Mankiewicz, and he's written a tremendous book. It's called 50 Oscar Nights, Iconic Stars and Filmmakers on Their Career-Defining Wins. I have to shout out Carrie Jackson, who's an AD at MLB Network, who went and saw you speak recently with Janet Maslin in New York and said she wanted to get the book and said they were, they were sold out. So I said, don't worry, I'm going to get a free book, and then maybe I'll pass on you and I'll go buy Dave's book as well. But bottom line is this, it's great to see you, Dave, and congrats on a phenomenal book. Thank you so much. It's great to see you too. So before we get into the book, um, I've got to talk about this year's Academy Awards. I know you're locked in and you did a phenomenal job. It was a SAG after roundtable to all the actors nominated for Best Actor. So, you know, it's Coleman Domingo and it's Bradley Cooper. And to be honest, I really only care about one man and that is Paul Giamatti. So Giamatti was phenomenal. And like, I, I've been going through all of his movies again. Like, I love him. So I'm like, let's just rewatch and see how great he is. Cause I know how great he is. So, like, I've rewatched now Sideways, American Splendor, Win Win, Barney's version, Private Life, The Holdovers, obviously, I've seen a couple of times. My question to you is this. And Ben Lyons, noted film aficionado, he said to meet the Critics' Choice Awards. He goes, Your guy's going to win. I said, Well, maybe he'll win tonight. He goes, No, no, he's going to win the Oscar. He goes, Let's get this clear. I go, No, no, it's Kelly Murphy, then it's Bradley Cooper, then Giamatti. He goes, No, no, no. Giamatti's winning. Let me tell you right now. He goes, People love Paul Giamatti. People like you are everywhere. People, nobody dislikes Paul Giamatti. He's a working, working actor. He's been doing this since you loved him in Donnie Brasco and The Truman Show. And Killian Murphy's great, but Oppenheimer's going to win picture. Nolan's going to get director. They're going to get score, et cetera, because Giamatti's going to win. So let's start with that. Dave, please give me hope that my guy's going to win. I agree with every single thing you just said. Yes. <laughs> Oppenheimer's going to win seven or eight, including picture and director and Robert Downey Jr., which will be a wonderful moment. Yep. But the guy is going to win. And it's funny you mentioned that Q&A I did with the five nominees. because So the five nominees for SAG-AFTRA, that's what the event was technically right. for, turned out to be the same five who were nominated for the Oscar. And I don't think I've ever done a panel for 45 minutes where I had to ask like two questions. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was so funny because these guys were so great and they had such great stories. I just was basically like training go and then they just went and it was it was incredible i just sat there and i didn't do anything you're not kidding as a fellow host i i was admiring this because what i noticed is this i'm like will he start with giamatti you went giamatti last in the first round of questions but then like yeah. a good host you go i'm not going to always make him go last i'll go third next time so you buried it but you're right those guys are so eloquent so passionate at one point you said coleman how about yourself like that's all you had to say because they would have the story and just go for five minutes 
No one's logging on to that video to hear what I have to say. They want to hear these stories from these five guys. It was, I was happy to be asked to do it. It yeah. was very exciting. And like Bradley Cooper even said, he was looking forward to that for like yes. a week. Um, and I think they all really motivated and inspired each other. So I can only imagine what it must be like young actors to watch that interview. Jeffrey Wright, great story when he said how he was waiting tables and then acting and then going to Pimlico Racetrack to stretch that dollar a little bit and then checking out those racetrack people and just learning stuff. Cooper's so enthusiastic. God, he's so passionate the way he talks about movies. And I loved that you made the connection, Coleman Domingo and Jeffrey. And then Bradley goes, hey, I know Paul too, man. Me and Giamatti hung out, hung over, hang over too. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, the high rise building. You can fall off the building. But they just, <laughs> the thing about Giamatti, I think that comes across is he, he just, He's just so down to earth and just so authentic. Like I, I saw the Critics' Choice Awards. I said, let me just get a minute with him. I don't want to bother him. And I just said, listen, man, you're just, you know, what's great about you is you're so passionate about acting. You can literally do anything. Like he's he's one of those guys that was a character actor, right? Supporting role was always the best part of the movie, whether it's private parts or my best friend's wedding, whatever it is. And then once he gets to those lead roles, American Splendor, Indie Darling, Sideways obviously makes him a star. But like he's somebody that I just think he can literally do anything, Dave. Like I, I think you could put Paul Giamatti in anything. He could do it great. Yeah, he's always great. And I think people are shocked to learn that this is only his second Oscar nomination. The only other one was Cinderella Man. People are like, wait, he didn't get nominated for Sideways? No, he didn't. But this is really kind of the Paul Giamatti moment. Yes. Um, and I think it's great that this movie, The Holdovers, which, you know, did okay, but yeah. it's really this resurgence. And I think the fact that Day by and Joy Randolph is also so great. Yeah. The two of them are helping each other because I think people are putting both their names at the top of the ballots. And I think that that helps. One of the great things about the Oscars and awards in your book specifically is the speeches. And so far, Giamatti's two for two. His Golden Globe speech, he was terrific when he mentioned teachers. He goes, my whole family's teachers. Respect them. They do a great thing. And the Crick's Choice Awards, where I was literally recording his speech in the corner, he mentioned his dad. Of course, the late Bartlett Giamatti, who he does not speak much about. But he said, my dad never got to see me act. This one's for him. I think he would have been proud. And I think that's really the heart of what makes this book so great. 50 Oscar nights, iconic stars and filmmakers and their career-defining wins. When people approach you and me and go, you know, why do you like the Oscars so much? Why do you care so much? you guys are crazy to me it's the speeches and so let's start with marty because i thought scorsese's speech and you know he's everyone's favorite filmmaker but he's not he's your favorite filmmaker's favorite filmmaker but i remember and reading your book again his speech was so good because he quipped the first line could you double check the envelope this is after by the way dead giveaway you've got spielberg lucas and coppola out there so like he's obviously going to win everybody's predicting him but then i thought his speech was so good because he talked about gratitude and he goes you know everybody has barely been wishing this for me my wife my kids the elevator door opener like everyone's really like come on marty we're pulling for you and i thought scorsese's moment particularly was like he could feel how much everybody else wanted it for him which was really special yeah and he even shared with me in the interview that his mother was particularly disappointed that he had not won for goodfellas yes his mother was a co-star of the movie goodfellas but yeah i i really appreciated everything that he had to say i love that he said that he went back home that night and turned on tcm, TCM? And michael powell yeah yes but that's that's the great thing about Martin and he had a long conversation with Jaiman Hunsu about African cinema. That's that was his focus on the night that he won an Oscar. He wanted to go to an after party and talk to Jaiman Hunsu about African cinema. But that's says he he is he is an encyclopedia. It's it's unbelievable to hear him. Yeah, that was so perfect. It's like, you know, I'm here with Rick Yorn, manager, talk to Leo for a bit. But really, Jaiman Hunsu African cinema is what stood out from that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's Martin Scorsese cinephile of all. Um, probably the coolest story I thought in there was Marsha Gay Harden because you gave really good context on it. Now, I love that movie, Pollock. I met Ed Harris once briefly, told him how much I love the movie. And he was he was appreciative. I think when he was doing uh, To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. But the speech about Marsha Gay Harden is amazing because 
A, you set up the fact that she was an enormous underdog. Like I, I remember that night thinking she was an underdog and she won, but in reading your book again, I go, that's right. She hadn't won anything. Like she Kate Hudson, right. Kate Hudson won the Golden Globe, Judy Dench the SAG, Julie Walters the BAFTA, McDormand the Critics' Choice. Harden wasn't even nominated for any of them. So that day, like for her to win, it was like that was extraordinary. And I and I do love that movie. And and a lot of it in your book, it comes to like the survivor's guilt, right? Like she's so happy, but then she was devastated that Ed didn't win. Ed Harris, of course, directed her, but he was like you know, going nuts when she actually won. But the story you tell is incredible. I don't know how much of this you remember. If you have the book in front of you, I can help you along. But the story about the, Yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> oh, we'll go We'll go first with the jewels. So there's a whole thing about the jewels. We don't want a bodyguard of the night. You can wear $500,000 with the jewels with no bodyguard. Eventually, they need a necklace, et cetera. They're up to $3.5 million. They said, I'll take the bodyguard. Now, take me to the aftermath, the end of the governor's ball. Well, she was in the limo with her friends and family going home, and they they noticed that their limo was being tailed by another car that was kind of following closely. And at first they thought, oh, gosh, is it because we have these jewels and this jewel thieves that are coming after us? And I think her mother was like ready to toss the jewels out of the car and just say, I, I want to live, you know, I get rid of these jewels. Well, they didn't do that. And then they figured, wow, well, now that I'm an Oscar winner, Marsha Gay thought I'm now famous. Like, this is now what happens. I'm going to be followed by the paparazzi. Well, it turned out the police did cut the car off, managed to stop them. And it turned out that the paparazzi just thought that Marsha Gay's car had Russell Crowe in it. So it was all a case of mistaken identity. So I kind of deflated her a little bit and brought her back down to earth. But yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to include her in the book, because her win was such a surprise. And and that happens so rarely now with all the award shows that lead up to the Oscars. So and we should tell people just super fast for people yeah. who don't know what the heck we're talking about. This book, 50 Oscar Nights, has new interviews that I just did with 50 winners talking about the day that they won their Oscars. So it's Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep, Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, and then below the line people, too, that I hope will be more discoveries for people who read the book. Yeah. Speaking of Jeffrey Fletcher winning for Precious, which is a film that I loved. I, I was really moved, Dave, reading. I, I got teared up here. He was talking about how much his parents are so important to him and his brothers. He was my mom reading to us, always encouraging us. My dad teaching us so many things, including F-stops, how camera works. My oldest brother telling me how animation works. Like I couldn't have had a more supportive family, couldn't have had better parents. It's the opposite of Emma Thompson, who said, listen, I think in the moment, because it's a professional award, you should stay professional. So it's a very British thing. I'm not going to thank my mom. I'm not going to mention personal things, because then I might start to lose it. So it's, I love that the, the the difference in different attitudes. Like I, I love the way that Jeffrey was just so passionate about it and saying, you know, my mom was my best friend. She got to see it. You mentioned Meryl Streep. So this is really interesting because again, I'm all about the speeches. And the scary thing is when you forget somebody. So Hillary Swank very famously forgot her then husband, Chad Lowe. And she said, I don't think he was thrilled with that. <laughs> and sometimes this is, this was funny. Sissy Spacek said, you have an out of body experience. Her husband didn't think he thanked her. She goes, no, I definitely thanked you. He goes, no, you didn't thank me. She went and checked it on YouTube. Cause look, you were the second last one. I did thank you. He's like, okay, I missed it. So Years later, found it on YouTube. Right. So Meryl so Streep. He thought she didn't thank him. Right. He's like, he's like bitter for like decades. Like, no, actually, he was here. So Meryl Streep, who everyone loves, and she says it's an amazing experience shooting the film. It's Peter and Kevin and Alan. She's talking about Peter McNichol and Kevin Klein and um, Alan Pakula here making uh, Sophie's Choice. So she says, you know, I loved Alan so much. The cast was so wonderful. The crew was great. I did say everyone's name except for the producer. I just forgot. I was out of my mind. I was very excited. The guy paid for the movie. When we were all standing at the curb waiting for our cars, everybody was coming up and saying congratulations. I was so happy. And this producer came up and said, thanks a lot and fuck you. I didn't realize how important it is to get every single person, especially the person who pays for it. Yeah, I think that was a big lesson for her. <laughs> Thank God she's won more since then. But like, 
I don't know. If you put yourself in these people's shoes, like, don't you think most people have empathy to go, hey, you're out of your mind. I get it. Or do you think it is actually a natural reaction? Go, hey, I'm the producer. You couldn't thank me. A lot of people, you know, think of all the people who put money into projects like that in the hopes that they will get their names called out from a stage like the Oscars or the Tonys. I mean, I think it was a crazy reaction, but there you go. I love that you shared that with me, though. I agree. I was definitely a very honest moment. Um, again, great speeches. I hard pressed to get a better than this one, which is Mira Servino when she wins for Mighty Aphrodite because she goes up there and as she said when she acknowledged her dad, it was almost as if he was being honored and he loses it. Like we're we're thinking of Polly and Goodfellas and uh, I remember him cruising. He's great. Like he's you know he's Paul. He's Paul Servino and to see him blubbering like that, it was it was a beautiful father daughter moment and a really great Oscars moment. What did Mira tell you about that? Well, that's why I reached out to her for this book too because my hobby is to like watch old Oscar speeches on YouTube. You're a sports guy. I'm an Oscar speech guy. So I, I know you're also a big movie guy, obviously. Yeah. So the reason why I reached out to her is because I wanted her take on not only the Harvey Weinstein of it all, because the movie she won for was released by him and she was very honest about her relationship or, you know, interactions with him, but also because of that beautiful moment with her dad. And when she said, when you acknowledge me with this award, you acknowledge my father, Paul Sorvino, who taught me everything I know about acting. And the camera was on him. I encourage anyone who's never seen it to go to YouTube and watch it because, as you say, it's so beautiful. And he just loses it. And it's so sweet. And yeah. she shared with me that because he was never nominated for an Oscar, he kind of poo pooed them during her childhood. So they weren't really watching them. But then she told me this crazy story that she would like have he would have her sit on the staircase of their house and he would say, okay, I'm going to stay in the living room. Don't come back in here until you've started crying. And it was like this actor game that he would play with her to get her to access these emotions. And as strange as it may sound, I think it was the kind of beginnings of training for her and led her to be able to be the incredible actor that she has become. Yeah, I love the honesty of people who said, you know, of course I dreamed about this. I dreamed about this every day of my life. Like, I, you want to do good work. But yes, the dream is I get to win an Academy Award. I practice a speech with a shampoo bottle. Like, of course I did. And I thought Aaron Sorkin was really honest. He said, winning an Oscar lives up to the hype. It feels exactly the way you think it does. And it still feels great today. It hasn't worn off. I'm very grateful for it. I really am. And I understand the instinct of a lot of people to say it's not a big deal. But humility is good, except it is a big deal. You remember that great moment in broadcast news when Bill Hurt says to Albert Brooks, what do you do when you're real? life exceeds your dreams and albert brooks says keep it to yourself <laughs> that's yeah. what i've had to do <laughs> and then and then aaron sorkin said it makes me want another one now he like, he's like one is great but now i really want two well it probably will happen for him he's such a great writer yeah but i like to even his point everyone knows he's been through recovery and the fact he said people often think you're at your lowest when you can relapse it's off when you're really high like that because you don't know how to celebrate normally that's when you get rolling so he said even in that moment i had to make sure there are people around me and i could stay grounded while still being really excited. And he said Fincher sent him a copy. This was a really good nugget. Fincher sent him a copy of his acceptance speech because they all knew it was either going to be King's speech or um, or obviously social network. So David didn't win, but he sent the speech and he said, I'll tell you what the opening line was, which I loved. It was, well, we finally answered the question, apples or oranges? That's a good tidbit yeah. to share with you. Because those movies were so different. And I'll tell you, when I did the interview with Aaron Sorkin, I prefaced that question about the recovery. I said, listen, Aaron, you do not have to answer this question if you don't want. But I have you and I'm curious, how does it affect things when you are in recovery and you have this kind of euphoric moment where everybody wants to party with you? And he actually said, thank you for asking that. And then he went on the answer that's in the book. And he seemed appreciative of the opportunity to explain that. Good. Um 
to to me and to other people who might be reading it, which I loved. I also always think like, you know, especially with the women wearing these, you know, ornate dresses is don't fall, don't trip. And that's why I loved Octavia Spencer's answer, because she said she wins and she literally can't get up. Like she's like, my, my knees aren't working. Like she said, this is what she says, because Christian Bale says my name. I just remember it being a vowel. And I'm thinking, whose name starts with the vowel? It's me. And then the adrenaline, my knees wouldn't bend. I had to stand up and my knees wouldn't bend and I couldn't walk up the stairs. I'm thinking, they say a billion people across the world watch the Academy Awards. I don't want to fall down. Lord, please don't let me fall down. I'd work with so many people in that room. I just felt an abundance of love. But I was having a serious panic attack. I'm sure she's not the only one who told you that moment of racing pulse, get to the stage, don't fall, don't trip. That That's commonplace. It's out of body for a lot of these people, and they know the eyes of the world are on them. And it's how do you make the most of that opportunity? And Allison Janney had that great joke in her back pocket that one of the writers on her sitcom gave her, which was, I did it all myself. And she walked thinking, do I do it? Do I do it? Do I not? I'm going to feel the room. And she did it. And I, I love moments like that where, you know, that that split second decision created this iconic Oscars moment. Yeah, Jenny's great. Her, she gave you some really good stuff. Because I remember that year, and listen, I love Allison Jenny. I love Tanya. She worked eight days in the movie. She wins an Oscar. Good for her. But I really thought Laurie Metcalf should win for Lady Bird, particularly that scene where she drops off her daughter. And I said, oh my God, that's, that is so powerful. That's an Oscar right there. And then Jenny started to create steam. And even she herself was like, I don't think it's going to happen. Like it's a, it's a pretty small role. I got a bird on my shoulder. I'm wearing a fur coat, whatever. But even the moment she said, right before they called my name, I said, it's Leslie Manville from Phantom Thread. She's going to win it. She's British. She's unbelievably talented. It's going to be the big surprise of the night. So when they said my name, it was almost more of a relief that I didn't let everyone else down. If I lost, I think I probably would have fainted. That's a common emotion as well, that you feel responsible to give the movie, like this could be the one Oscar the movie gets. This is the publicity the movie needs. So like you feel guilty if you don't win, rather than even accepting especially, that you won. Especially when there's been five other shows that you've won. You know, then to like fall at the finish line would be horrible. Right. And that's where I think it's tough. Like Olivia Coleman, her speech was so great because it was just literally, and I say this in a fond way, verbal diarrhea. Like she's all over the place. She's like a roller coaster, but it was funny and it was clearly authentic. She wasn't prepared. And she says, like, I have to go back and watch the speech again. I'm sure she mentioned, but like with Glenn Close, everyone thought she's going to win seventh nomination. This is the wife. And I thought that was nice that she told you she met Glenn Close later. And Glenn Close kind of made the first move like, hey, no, she met her before. Oh, she met her before. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She met her before. Yeah, like a right. couple months before the Oscars. No, but she did say, Glenn, this is not the way I wanted this to go. She did say that from the speech, and then the camera went off, Glenn, and she was super gracious about it. Yeah, see, that's that's like I always think of the moments when somebody loses, and as you know, that as you see, the the eyes of the world are on them, and then they don't react the way they, that they should. Like I love Billy Crystal, but I remember watching the Tony Awards. I think it was last year, but it was this year, uh, whatever, twenty twenty three, when he didn't win for Mister Saturday Night, which I did love. Uh, it was the guy from the Michael Jackson musical, and Billy did not clap. Dave, like literally, the shot is there. Just like. Like he looks annoyed. I'm like, man, you you gotta just play along, man. Like, it, fine, deep down, you're burning, you're furious, but like the camera's on you. Well, if he didn't clap, that's because he might not have seen Miles Frost because Miles Frost in that MJ musical was ridiculously good. <laughs> but so. as you said, the eyes of the world and everyone, not everybody can be a, a gracious winner, or a gracious loser. How about the fact, again, to go back to Scorsese, this picture is unbelievable. You've got a picture of him with Spielberg, Lucas, and Coppola, and Lucas is doing the rabbit ears behind Marty's head. So after, the, after I wrote the book is then when I worked with a photo editor and shows all the photos. And it was so fun to find that one. And I, there was another photo of the four of them, obviously a couple seconds before or after without the rabbit ears. Yeah. And I thought, I really want to put that one with the rabbit ears in. 
because it was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a great moment to have those three guys be the ones who give Scorsese the Oscar finally. Yeah, I, like I said, your write-ups are excellent, but the pictures as well. And it's, it's like I said, a wonderful gift for anyone to have. And what really comes across more than anything is the humility and how grateful people are. Like Michael Douglas is a guy who wins an Oscar for Cuckoo's Nest, but when he wins, it's like, oh my God, I'm so grateful to Oliver. And he goes, listen, Oliver Stone was not the easiest guy on set. Like he was not kissing the actor ass. He's in your face. He's aggressive. He's blunt. But he pushed me to do this. And he said the fact that him and Nicholson were both nominated, they met on Cuckoo's Nest. Jack mm. was genuinely happy for him. Like, I think that's a real common theme as well. A lot of the people that you spoke to, there's genuine joy from their colleagues, which was, I think, really wonderful to see. That was great to see, especially with these A-list people. And I'm sure you found this too, like the bigger the star, the nicer they often are. Yes. Uh, you know, and because they've kind of reached that rarefied air and they just know how to to work it and and survive and live. And they're often the nicest people. Yeah, I won't rain on Eddie Redmayne's parade. I'm sure he's a lovely guy and he did a good job, but I, I wasn't crazy with the theory of everything and I didn't think he should win. But I loved what he said in his interview with you because he said... You know, I, I recognize it was Oscar so white, and I recognize that David Oyelowo was wonderful and gave a towering performance, and that there's slights and snubs and implicit biases there. So, again, I appreciate somebody who's self-aware, right? He's not just saying, I deserved it. It's, I worked very hard to do this. I'm mm -hmm. grateful the Stephen Hawking experience, but even he was aware of what was happening at that time. And sure. And he even said, like, when he got cast in the movie, there was a trade article that said, you know, Eddie Redmayne to play Stephen Hawking, the kind of role that wins an Oscar. And he thought, great. Like, if I don't win an Oscar, essentially, I failed. So I think there was pressure on him. And I think he also felt bad about beating Michael Keaton because it was between the two of them. And uh, so many people were predicting Michael Keaton. So I think he felt a little bit of guilt about that. I rewatched Whiplash because Sundance just concluded it was the 10th anniversary. And I, I wouldn't say I'd forgotten. Like, I knew it was a great movie, but like, I didn't realize how great J.K. Simmons was until I watched it again. He's, And it's like got this incredible, like really dark humor. Obviously, he's cruel and a psychopath, but some of the lines are so funny just because the way he delivers them are so juicy. And his speech is an all-time great when he went up there and said, hey, call your mom, call your dad. And, and his parents had passed a year prior. And I remember I'd asked him as well, and you have it in the book, that he said, you know, I, I didn't write it down, but I kind of knew I was going to say something to them. I didn't know the specifics of it, but that that is also an all-time speech by J.K. Simmons. That's why I wanted him in the book, because I remembered that speech, and I wanted to hear the origin of it. I wanted to hear why he decided to say that. And I was so intrigued by the fact that he hadn't necessarily planned that. Of course, he knew he was going to win. Everyone yeah. did. Yeah. But he wanted to feel the moment. And I love that. And he tells the story in the book about how he heard about so many people who were estranged from their parents or their kids who then did reach out because he said that on the Oscars. And I just think that's such a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. I love it. No him. question about it. 50 Oscar nights, iconic stars and filmmakers and their career-defining wins. Make sure you support Dave Carger. Go buy the book. It's fantastic. couple quick things to close. As I told you off-air, I recently had dinner with uh, your colleague, Ben Mankwitz, the great one of TCM, and Bob Costas, my colleague with MLB Network. And we're talking old movies naturally because Bob really wants to meet Ben. And so I said to Bob, you know, give me your favorite old movies. And he said, oh, you know, I love Casablanca, I love The Godfather. And he goes, what I really love is Double Indemnity. And I said, yeah, of course. I said, to Edward G. Robinson playing Keys. And I said, you know what I love is uh, The Third Man. And Bob kind of gives it like, yeah, he goes, I like it. And I was like, I mean, we got to get a better reaction to the third man. So then I said, to, I said, Ben, you love the third man. He goes, well, I said, my uncle wrote a letter to three wives. which came out in 49 and it's great. But I mean, when I watch the third man, I go like what Carol Reed's doing is amazing. So I didn't prep you on this, but either your thoughts on double indemnity or the third man, please uh, I mean, validate I, my love for both. 
I mean, I do love them both. And Barbara Stanwyck is a huge favorite of all of us at TCM. I mean, I go more for kind of the emotional movies. I go more for like the razor's edge, a place in the sun, yes. you know, be there all about Eve. But I, the thing I love about the third man, of course, is the zither music <laughs> and just, and just the look of it, you know, and I, and I love Joseph Cotton. So, I mean, maybe that's more my speed just be, and I like the kind of European aspect of it but yeah. they're both great no come on you how you how can you fault either of them yeah that final shot of joseph cotton and she walks by like you know he gets the guy but doesn't get the girl and it's, it's just so perfect um you mentioned a place in the sun i remember billy friedkin one time we saw it was probably on tcm and he said that look when montgomery cliff first sees elizabeth taylor because that's like the quintessential george stevens moment like this is a man smitten like in that moment it's it's perfect and the use of close-ups, that was pretty revolutionary then. That's not something you saw a ton of back then. And I think it really heightened the the romance of that movie without without a doubt. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Dave Carter does an awesome job once again on TCM. All Oscars all the time. 50 Oscar nights, iconic stars and filmmakers on their career-defining wins. With the Oscars around the corner, I've already told you, the award that would make me happiest is Paul Giamatti. What's the award, whatever category you like, who's the person or persons that you're most cheering for? Well, I already mentioned her, but I really think Dave Enjoy Randolph is going to win also for the holdovers. And I've met her a couple of times and she actually loves TCM. She goes to yes. bed watching TCM every night, she told me. So I'll be really excited when when she wins because she will. And I just think it's a great performance and she's she's super cool. I've interviewed Dave Hemmingson on the podcast. I think he's got a pretty good choice here, original screenplay. I, I mean, right at the him, Giamatti and Dave Enjoy Randolph, that would be pretty big. I think it holdovers is going to win all three of those. And I think the fact that Barbie got put in the adaptive screenplay race really helps his case. Okay. So last thing, and this does piss me off. I said, this is the best chance for Marty to get a second Oscar, put him in adapted him and Eric Roth together. Killers of the Fireman's not going to win director. And then it doesn't even get nominated. I, I was okay. appalled. Dave. That, as you know, this I've read the book as you have. This is a tough book to adapt. And then they change it when DiCaprio goes, Hey, actually, I don't want to play the FBI agent. Can I play the nephew? I, Again, I'm not knocking the Oscars, but I don't know how you don't nominate Scorsese and Eric Roth. Because that, that, to me, that should win, quite frankly, for Adapted. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies of the year. So, I mean, if you look at the ones that got in there instead, I mean, the zone of interest basically took the spot. And I think yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, great feeling toward that movie from the Academy. It certainly was its place. Yeah. Anyways, I could do this all day. We'll let you go. Dave Carger, great stuff, man. Everybody go buy his book and enjoy watching Dave on TCM and look forward to all the Oscar coverage coming up. Any other interviews we can look forward to? SAG after that kind of stuff? More stuff being posted, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to be interviewing a lot of the Oscar nominees on Monday at the uh, nominees luncheon, and those are going to air on TCM throughout the next month, so people can look for that. I'm excited about that. All right. I can't wait, man. Thanks so much, Dave. This is awesome. We'll talk soon. Great to see you. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks once again to Dave. The book is awesome. I've already re-gifted it and gave it to Carrie Jackson at work, so hopefully she enjoys it, and then I'll re-gift it to somebody else. But seriously, you should all go buy it because the book is awesome. Whiplash. On TCM, and I said, I haven't seen this in a while. Let me check it out. A promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. Written and directed by Damien Chazelle. Actually, not his first movie. It feels like it, but it was actually a sophomore effort. It's absolutely brilliant. Originally, he couldn't get filming for it, so he made it into a short. And once it was a short at Sundance, he got the necessary funding to make it into a feature film, and the rest is movie history. I hadn't seen it in a long time. If you'd asked me a month ago, what do you think of Whiplash? It's, it's a pretty good movie. 
I love J.K. Simmons. He's one of my favorites, of course. Incredible on Oz, playing the Nazi Vern Schillinger. When I met him years ago at ESPN, when I was doing celebrity softball, I said to him, I go, that Nazi you played on, I mean, without even introducing myself, I walked to him, I go, that Nazi you played on Oz is one of the greatest TV creations ever. I'm like, thanks. And I said, the scene where uh, Beecher took a dump on your face, I go, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And <laughs> J.K. says that missing a beat because, yeah, that's a pretty fucked up thing to have happen and for you to mention to me. And I started laughing. Right I go, this guy's awesome. So, I knew J.K. Simmons would be a great guy, which he is also a terrific baseball player. He crushed it in celebrity softball and a diehard Tigers fan. At the time, he told me, he goes, no, I insist it's in my contract that I have to have satellite to be able to watch Tigers games in my trailer. And this was like the first year of Nick Castellanos. He was like, yeah, how about that Castellanos? I remember he was raving about him. I'm like, yeah, Nick Castellanos did turn out to be an excellent, excellent baseball player. Also loves his Ohio State Buckeyes. So he, he's an avid sports fan. If he'd asked me a month ago, I would have said, J.K. Simmons is great. The movie's good, but... He's clearly the highlight. Watching it again, I'm like, this whole movie is brilliant. Right from jump, it's a, it's a special piece of work. Miles Teller, of course, plays Andrew. Speaking of sports fans, huge Philly sports fan, diehard Eagles fan. I uh, got his number, gave it to Stagas. Not sure if he's been on Stupidity yet, but he is a good dude. Loves the Phillies as well. A little bit of Flyers, a little bit of Sixers. Anyways, Miles Teller plays Andrew the drummer. And part of what makes the story so great is Damien Chazelle based on his own experiences. He himself played jazz uh, drumming in high school. Now, I don't think he ever had a tyrannical teacher quite like Jake C. Simmons. But once he comes on stage, he's so magnetic and so terrifying, you can't take your eyes off of him. And he plays this music teacher as if he's a drill sergeant. You know, it's like he's Arlie Ermey from Full Metal Jacket. And yet, in the midst of being so menacing and terrifying, he's also hysterical. There's one of the musicians who's not in the best of shape, a little bit chubby. And at one point, the kid kind of looks down for a second. J.K. Simmons says, without missing a beat, because there's no fucking Mars bar down there, kid. I, I burst out laughing. I'm like, this this is a funny, funny movie in the midst of being dark and scathing. There, there's, It's kind of like how Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is, you know, dark subject matter, and yet it's so funny because the way Mamet writes his dialogue. Similarly with Chazelle, and I don't know how much J.K. Simmons is improving, but it's incredibly memorable. Now, it's also... Definitely on PC. There's a litany of gay slurs that he uses. I'm like, yeah, in 2014, you could say that. I don't think you could say that in 2024, in which he's just completely humiliating these guys and emasculating them. But nonetheless, it, of its time, it was so memorable. And it really just pits these two guys against each other. Simmons is Fletcher, the teacher, and Miles is Andrew, the drummer who wants to succeed. And I think what's so great about the movie is it's a real commentary on success in life. And it's about the obsessive nature of truly successful people. And Fletcher, it's not that he hates Andrew. He just wants to get the best out of him. Maybe he does kind of hate him as well, but he feels like by pushing him to the extreme, he will get the best results from him. And they bring up the whole issue of Bird. Uh, Charlie Parker, of course, the great, great musician. Who, by the way, I'm going to try to watch Bird at some point. I think I recorded that on TCM the other day. Forrest Whitaker, Clint Eastwood. Anyways, Bird, he said, was was early. In, he tells the story one time when, when Andrew sees him, when Fletcher himself is playing piano. He said, Bird was not great in one performance. And he goes, you know, his mentor could have just been like, hey, nice job. You did your best. But instead, he told him he was awful. And Bird went home and he cried and like he was miserable. But then after that, he vowed to never fail again. He became one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. Of course, postscript, he also died of a drug overdose in his 30s. So I'm not sure it was exactly a happy ending. But the point is, in life, you see this, and we certainly see this in sports. You see these maniacal teachers. And the question then does become, and this is what part of the greatness of Whiplash is this. As the movie builds and builds and builds, and Miles you know, gets in this car crash where he can't show up on time. J.K. Simmons fires him. Like Andrew literally tackles him like F you, starts trying to punch him like it's insane. But later on when he sees him, I wouldn't say they quite reconcile, but that's where Fletcher basically makes it clear. Hey, listen, I, I'm doing this for your best. Like I'm, he goes, the, the two most harmful words in the English language are a good job. You're going to hear that your whole life and that's not helping. I'm helping to bring out the best in you. And then he says to Andrew, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of overseeing this new band. We need a new drummer. 
yeah, Miles naturally is hesitant after what this guy has done to him. He's kind of like, uh, you sure? He's like, yeah, what about this guy? He's like, no, he's pre-med. What about this guy? He wasn't very good. He was just there to challenge you. Let me know. And Andrew shows up. And this is where Whiplash really goes to the next level. It's already a great movie, but the last 15 minutes is amazing. Because he shows up and he's about to play the drums. And Fletcher walks over and just says to him, like, do you think I'm an effing idiot? He's like, do you think I didn't know it was you? He's like, what? And he's like, oh, my God. Andrew is the one who got Fletcher kicked out of the school because his dad, played by the always entertaining Paul Reiser, that's right, Mad About You for Mark Simon, playing Jim Neiman, he was the one that saw how distressed his son was, how anxiety-riddled his son was. Eventually, they complained. Fletcher lost his job. So just as he's about to play, Fletcher goes, you think I'm an effing idiot? You think I didn't know it was you? So they go out there, and he stumbles. He's not doing well on the drums. And this is a critical concert. Everybody who's a who's who of New York jazz is there. Paul Reiser's there. His daddy runs back to the stage. Andrew gets up. You know, Jacob Simmons kind of gives him that look that a bully gives you. Like, yeah, I guess you suck tonight. He leaves. He goes and hugs his dad. Then he goes back. Fletcher's a little bit surprised. What's going on here? And then, boom, he starts playing the drums. He's doing Caravan, the 1936 uh, epic song, I believe, composed by Duke Ellington. And he starts sort of doing it. And then he tells the bass guy, like, oh, Caravan, I'll count you in. And he's playing it. Also, Miles Teller did like 99% of his own drumming in this. So I have even more respect for him. The fact that he did his own drumming. Now, I'm sure they added certain you know music afterwards in post, but still, the, the movement and the rhythm, what he's doing is correct. And Fletcher comes over and like you know hits a symbol in his face. And it's like a, just a tour de force. 10 minutes, he's just emptying the tank. And the horns come in and the bass. And like it's it's just gorgeous music. And then at one point, Fletcher comes over and he's like, what are you doing, Andrew? Like, what are you doing? Like, he won't stop. He literally is playing the drums until he dies. And then Fletcher starts helping him. He's like, you know, slow down the beat, slow down the beat, up and up, up and up, up and up, boom, 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 boom. And the last shot, you know, he's just completely spent. And Andrew looks at him and kind of smiles. And Fletcher, the way he shoots it, he only sees his eyes. But you can tell he's smiling by his eyes. And then gives him the... Bang. So you think it's a happy ending. Like, this guy got driven to horrible lengths by this teacher. But at the end, he's a success. He plays the drums at an epic level. But then I read an interview with Damien Chazelle afterwards. He goes, I didn't take it as a happy ending. I took it as this kid's broken. Like he wants to be great. He wants more than anything in the world to be great. This guy pushes him to the edge, anxiety, stress, depression, et cetera. And he finally gets a great performance out of him. But that level of perfectionism will continue to haunt him and drive him and lead him to a very unhappy life. And he said, in writing that story, I said, if I did a sequel to Whiplash, he's dead by a drug overdose by 35. Because he goes, there's just no way to sustain that level. But it's a lot of talking to me. The question to Cody is this. If I tell you, your daughter's in a dance. And let's say the teacher's like just a maniacal dance instructor. Like, no, dude, he's mean. Like, he's harsh. Do you want the teacher who is a little bit too harsh? Or do you want the teacher who's a little bit like, hey, good job? Because... There are some parents who will say, I don't want my kid crying. Of course, like it's my child, but I also want success. And I want someone who's going to push them and drive them. It's a delicate balance. How do you manage that as a parent? I like kindness. <laughs> I mean, I positive reinforcement goes a long way. I'm never going to be the guy that's being the teacher in whiplash. So I don't know. I mean, I obviously the balance is perfect. I want a little right. bit of that. But uh, yeah, that, I, don't, I don't see me being J.K. Simmons. <laughs> So it is amazing to think about, though, because Simmons himself said, like, I just knew he goes, um, you know, I saw the script from Jason Reitman, who he'd worked with up in the air. He's like, I just knew this guy. Like, I've known characters like that. Like, he was like, yeah, they, they treat everything like a drill instructor. It's just like they are just mean. But in, in their view, it's I'm not being mean. I'm trying to drive you to be the best. But it is the antithesis of what I think anybody in society would want for their children. Like, positive reinforcement. Generally, the way to go. Like, I get it. We all get mad sometimes. You want to yell a little bit. Someone's frustrating you. Okay, that's fine. A little bit of directional coaching. I've, I've seen my kids get yelled at by a coach. If they're not listening, they're not paying attention. But, like, this guy's insane. <laughs>
Like it would be tough to rationalize this behavior at any level, and especially now I said. Have you ever had the that thing where your kid is getting yelled at and you're like, I don't like this? Yeah, one time I sent a dean in Taekwondo because he he the coach got he screamed at him like, oh my god! I was like, and I, I thought about it after telling the coach, like, listen, I know what you're I know what you're doing. You you think like because he's being rude and like you know puts his hands on his ears, gets angry, like you're gonna push harder. I'm like, you gotta kind of take a step away. Like when he when he starts to have a tantrum, you gotta be like, all right, give me a break, because if he's ratcheting up the adrenaline energy and you're trying to match that that's not going to go well because then he's going to get more mad then you're going to scream which is exactly like he's screaming i'm like oh my god I'm like that you, you gotta i know it's hard but you have to be the adult in the room and go i'm gonna give you a minute i'll walk away and they'll be reasonable about this <laughs> and i thought about that and i go you know what i'm not going to give this guy a life lesson i'm just going to politely say and to his credit when he came in like he was laughing at first like oh yeah, yeah being a dude i'm like hmm. Not really great the way you treated my kid, but, and, but yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, mm. like I, I get it. Like I, I trust me, I get annoyed too. But I'm like, you're kind of like the coach. You're the, you're the teacher. You got to be positive. Just if he's having a meltdown, give him a break. Give him a five. That's the only way we do things. But then he quit taekwondo afterwards. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to blame the coach. But it's it, it is always awkward. It was definitely whiplash esque the way it was starting to escalate. Great, great movie. If you haven't seen it? Definitely check it out. Sorry if I spoiled it. More old movies for it. Ninety nine Homes. Great movie. Director and written by Ramin Barani. Uh, never seen it before, and the great Ty Burr had said great movies to watch on Netflix. Have you seen 99 Homes? I hadn't, and of course, how could I not have Michael Shannon, who Ben Lyons was in Vegas, did not meet up with Cody and Mike Ryan and company, tried to, but um, I texted, Ben was texting me, because guess who's on the plane with me? Because Michael Shannon is sitting in front of me, I go, oh my God, you've got to talk to him. Tell him the interview he did on Cinephile made my year. He mentioned Paul Bird, because we talked about the 2016 Cubs. Just, just say Paul Bird, 2016 Cubs, that guy really loves you. He'll be like, okay, for both waiting for the bathroom at the same time, I'll mention it to him. <laughs> Otherwise, not going to bum rush Michael Shannon. And they go, honestly, I just watched Nine at Homes. I go, it's amazing. He's Satan this week. Yeah, good flick. A recently unemployed single father struggles to get back his foreclosed home by working for the real estate broker, who is the source of his frustration. And it's uh, Andrew Garfield, by the way, really good actor, playing Dennis Nash. You know, I'm always used to seeing Andrew Garfield either as Spider-Man uh, in Scorsese's Silence, or I see him like in interviews with the British accent. So it's really funny to see him as like a, he's, he's Chris Cody-esque. He's a Florida man, mesh hat. It's always hot, humid there in Florida. He's got like, I wouldn't quite say a Florida accent, but he's obviously he's trying to Americanize himself. So it, I'll be honest, it didn't always work for me seeing Andrew Garfield in that tone. I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily buy this guy as like a, a Florida laborer. Like he's he's literally fixing toilets and like in construction. I'm like, you're, you're a little bit too handsome. Like Andrew Garfield's a little bit too skinny and a little bit too handsome that I picture in that role. Like, but whatever. I appreciate the fact he's trying to stretch a little bit. And, um, it's it's a fascinating story. I didn't realize, I guess this is specific to Florida. Maybe it's not, but like this happens a lot where somebody can't pay the mortgage in their home. It goes in the month and the bank takes over. And then Michael Shannon is one of these guys who's representing the bank and then says, all right, let's bring in the cavalry. And he's got cops there with him and they, they specialize in evictions and they knock on the door and it's not, and everybody has the same story. Give me 24 hours. I was just about to pay it. Give me a sec. It's like, no, get out now. This is no longer your home. This is the state of the property of Florida. Let's go. And it's, it's tough to watch because it's so intense the way these guys are about it. They're just like, you know, that's it. Let's get going. It's, it's just, it's so mean-spirited in some ways. But what's odd is that the movie, you're, you're meant to be really sympathetic towards these people, but I couldn't get past the fact, I'm like, but why didn't you pay the mortgage? Like, like, <laughs> like I'm watching, I'm going like, yeah, like I, I do feel horrible for you. Your family is now on the street. Literally all your belongings are being, like I couldn't imagine tomorrow. All of my belongings are dumped on the street. 
But in my head, I'm like, but but you didn't but, pay the mortgage. Like, like, <laughs> there is a law that we have here, yes? I'm like, you do need to pay your bill. Like, if I don't pay my heating bill. If you paid it, but I don't pay my heating happened. bill. They do cut off the heat. Like, I know it's tough. If I have tough times, I lost my job, poverty. I got it. But I'm like, but that is kind of the rules here. Like, you you shouldn't be able to just live in someone's house. Like, if I'm, I look at it as a landlord, I'm like, wait, if it's my home and you just, you're a squatter. You just don't pay for months. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'll get you next time. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm paying the mortgage. You're going to pay for me. So I won't say it's a flaw in the film, but I, I did find it because the movie is so sympathetic to those who are being thrown out, particularly Andrew Garfield's character, that it was, at times, I, I was able to, to puncture through it with my own logic. But great performances. Shannon's awesome because he really embodies those people who are like, no, like it's, it's my home now. Like you didn't pay. I'll take over. And that's where the, the title comes from, 99 Homes. At one point, he's like taking over 100 homes. I don't know what part of Florida it's in. I think it's maybe central Florida. I think it's Orlando, where he's just like, no, nope, like I'm going to just dominate this entire residential area because all these people have not been paying. I'll just take over like... He's essentially in some ways like a slumlord. But the, but the weird thing is like these homes don't look like slumlords. Like it's, it's like in a nice neighborhood, but then the person doesn't pay because they lost their job or whatever. Then he takes over and just ends up running the world. It's 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 a fascinating story. It really is. And as I said, Shannon is, is so charismatic playing villains. There's, there's really no one who does it better than him. And it's definitely a great performance. So I would definitely recommend 99 Homes. A few reviews for it. Leonard Malton at LeonardMalton.com. Absorbing, entertaining drama with an on-target message. Bill Goody Kuntz, amazing name, Arizona Republic. Barani's film asks a timely yet timeless question. How far would you go to save your home? Would you be willing to lose yourself in the bargain? And Mark Saviour of Austin Chronicle. I wish I could say 99 Homes delivers a shockingly good sucker punch to the American electorate and a stand-up and cheer piece of socially conscious filmmaking, but it's not. I still thought it was really good, especially once once uh, Michael Shannon kind of takes him under his wing, becomes the mentor to his mentee. That's the way he really kind of, kind of kicks into a different groove, I felt like, because once you're, it's one thing to say that that's the capitalist empire, they're the villains, but once you're kind of working on their side, you see it from their perspective, I thought the film was really good. Also good supporting work by Laura Dern, who's an Academy Award winner herself. All right, let's do the new movies quickly. Nimona, all you animated feature film fans, this came out back in June, it's available on Netflix. When a knight in a futuristic medieval world is framed for a crime he didn't commit, the only one who can help improve his innocence is Nimona, a mischievous teen who happens to be a shape-shifting creature he's sworn to destroy. It's not going to win the best animated feature, but I really enjoyed the voice work from Chloe Grace Moretz and especially my man Riz Ahmed playing Ballister Boldheart, speaking of good names. It's a cute little story. Uh, I can see Cody's daughter enjoying it maybe a couple of years. It definitely has a good message as far as, you know, knights and helping each other. Uh, ultimately, though, I thought it was a bit of a unwieldy. I thought it was a little bit too much going on at one point, but ultimately it's a good message. It's a decent kid's flick. And again, it's available on Netflix. If you're one of those people like me who wants to watch everything nominated for an Oscar, I recommend you do it. Nimona, I'll give two and a half Maple Leafs. By the way, 99 Homes, I give four Maple Leafs and Whiplash. Actually, 99 Homes, I'll give three Maple Leafs and Whiplash, I'm going to give four Maple Leafs. Anybody who cares. Okay. Quick blurbs, Nimona. Uh, Simon Palai of CTV's Your Morning. Bites off more than they can chew. Doesn't really hold together. Has a whole lot of fun as it makes a mess of things. Simon Abrams of RogerEbert.com is sometimes cute, but mostly hyper and overextended animated sci-fi fantasy. And Amy Nicholson of New York Times. The tone is uneasy, teetering on anarchic, veering from giddily moronic one-liners to more shockingly a climax of deep empathy and visual awe. And last one, thanks to Dan Skip Allen, who sent this my way. He's one of our many listeners here on Cinephile and said, have you seen Bobby Wine, the people's president? I said, I have not. It's available on Disney+. Plus. He said, you should watch it. I said, okay, fine, I'll watch it. It follows Ugandan opposition leader, activist, and musical star Bobby Wine. He used his music to fight the regime led by Yoweri Museveni, the person who led the country for 35 years. That was all right. I'll be honest. Some of these documentaries, they have noble messages, but I didn't always find it absorbing. I found it repetitive. 
and a little bit tiresome. I, I did like the fact it showed me a side of life I wasn't really aware of, which is, I don't know a whole lot about Uganda as a country, Ugandan politics, reggae music. So I, I appreciate anything that shows me a different world. But if we're being honest, for the entire two hours in Disney+, Plus, I was not riveted by it. Wendy I disagrees with me of Observer UK. It's a gripping piece of filmmaking, a propulsive, kinetic account of a grassroots campaign captured what would seem to be considerable personal risk to both the subject and directors and uh, Danny Lee of Financial Times. The film, too, can remind you of last year's Navalny, another fine, tragic study of a dissident, a despot, and a dream brutally deferred. I'll give it to me, police. Next week on Cinephile, it's a time to like the shorts. Because honestly, again, if you're like me, you want to watch everything Oscar-related, you want to watch the shorts. So this is good news for all of you out there. A lot of these shorts are available on YouTube. There used to be a time that you would watch things and go, hey, where do you find the shorts? Like, where do you find best live animated short? Like, seriously, where do I find these things? And now, because of streaming and YouTube, a lot of these are readily available. So I'll even tell all of you right now what I'm going to be reviewing, and we'll, we'll do a little uh, you know, choose your own adventure. You can watch these, and hopefully you'll be prepped as I will next week, because it's not something you have to worry about. There's no screeners involved here. Just go ahead and go to YouTube. So next week, I've already seen them. Three nominees for Best Documentary Short. The Barber of Little Rock, Island in Between, and The Last Repair Shop. All of them are available on YouTube. And the Best Live Action Short... The After, which is on Netflix, it's 18 minutes. And Night of Fortune, which is on YouTube, that's 22 minutes. I'll review those five plus other things as well. Special guest Mark Kamine's got a new book out. It's all about The Sopranos and his work as a location manager. As Cody said recently, his friends re-watching The Sopranos, 25th anniversary. So good Sopranos talk coming up. And as again, as we're building towards the Oscars, we'll unveil next week our special Oscars coverage coming soon here to Metalark. But uh, I think it's going to be good times. And it's good to have you back, Cody. Your thoughts on any of what I just said? I feel like I talked a lot, but 99 Homes, uh, Whiplash, whatever you got. Nimona? I got to watch a couple of these shorts. Last year, I remember being like, oh, he's talking about these things, and I check them yeah. out, and they're good. They're like enjoyable things to watch, so I'm going to watch those ahead of time so I can maybe I help you out. Because I feel the same way as you. What happens is you go, like, do I really care? Like, best live action short, how's this impacting my life? 12 minutes. But then you go, eh, there's only 12 minutes. You knock it out, and they're generally, as you said, really good. I, I think it's like... Uh, the great Mark Twain line, when he says, sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to edit it. Like the, to me, there's more, you know, skill or creativity or talent in saying, I've got to make a 12 minute movie. It's going to be great rather than a three hour movie. I mean, obviously both have different challenges, but some of these short films, it's, it's pretty tough to, but the best part is, is you trim the fat. We're going to cut right to the point. I've got 18 minutes. Here's a movie. You like it. You don't like it. That's it. Last thing from you. I want the rest of your sideways review. You said you were going to watch it before you went to Vegas. Did you finish sideways? I have 15 <laughs> minutes left. I realized two days ago, I was like, man, I really enjoyed Sideways. It's like, I didn't finish it because it's just, you yeah, know, kid stuff and life. Like I started it and it's like still in my like thing of like continue okay. watching. I'd have right. to just finish Rob it. Lemley, I will say avid listener. He messaged, he goes, hey, great point by Cody on the parallel of the swingers. I go, I agree. I never heard that before. That was excellent. So who's the big winner? Mikey's the big winner. Next week, the full review of Chris Cody on Sideways, 15 minutes left. But so far, it's solid. You're enjoying it. Oh, so far, it, it's living up to all the hype as a movie overall, like a buddy yeah. comedy, and just, I mean, Giamatti. My guy. By the way, we're uh, we're still hoping, uh, in case you're a Paul Giamatti nerd like me, CBS this morning did a Sunday profile. And by the way, Ben Manquist does some of those. He said he was supposed to. He was in line to potentially get Giamatti. Went to Leslie Stahl, longtime 60 Minutes stalwart. I said, mm, that's tough, Ben. You lost out to Leslie Stahl. He's like, yeah, I love Giamatti. So if you're really uh, like me, nine minutes of Paul Giamatti with Leslie Stahl, CBS Sunday morning. It was really good. Just telling stories about his life. What's actually really interesting is this, and I have to download the app. I have Sirius like most of us, but Giamatti was on Stern. Like, oh my God. So I saw a couple of clips and 
but the most notable part was Stern's like, you got to win that effing Oscar. Do you mind? He's like, yeah. You know? He's like, no, seriously. He goes, how great would that be if you win this Oscar? Do you mind? He's like, yeah. And he, goes, he goes, I'll mention you. Harrison's like, wait, you're going to mention me? Paul's like, yeah, man, of course. Like, but what have we been talking about? Private parts launched my career, put me in a different path. And Harrison's like, you're going to mention me. If I, if you win that Oscar, you're going to like, I will mention you, Howard. I promise. I will mention you. So now I really want to see Paul G. Mai win an Oscar just to give a shout out to Howard Stern. But he was very genuine. And Howard Stern was very genuine. I, I don't I don't listen enough of Stern's. I wouldn't know. But I mean, normally I know he's making funny people, cracking jokes, whatever. He was like, no, dude. He goes, on that set, he goes, you were incredible. I was like, I said to the director, I go, this guy's going to be a great actor and he should get an Oscar nomination. Like, he is amazing. And Paul started laughing. He said, but the guy wasn't actually called pig vomit. He goes, no, he goes, the real guy was pig virus. And Jimmy said, why did we change it? Because I don't remember the restriction. We, we changed it for the movie. We ended up calling you pig vomit. Because I can't remember the exact reason, but it's actually pig virus. And Jimmy goes, I had no idea it was a real guy. He goes, years later, I was promoting some movie. They go, hey, we got a surprise for you. You're joining us now on the radio. It's pig vomit. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I made this guy look horrible. Like, he's a terrible human being. And now I got to talk to the real guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't thrilled. He's like, hey, you played me in the Howard Stern movie. I'm like, yeah, pig vomit. How you doing? Nice to talk to you. But uh, I'll download the series up. I think it was like an hour and a half. Giamatti and Howard Stern. Hour and a half with Stern. Nine minutes CBS Sunday morning. Can we get him for five minutes on Cinephile? Fingers crossed. Maybe it'll happen. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.